Hi, you're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 120. It's really important to have your banker understand your business and understand what that loan is for. Hi, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, and now it's time to light it up. Welcome to Gift Biz Unwrapped, your source for industry-specific insights and advice to develop and grow your business. And now, here's your host, Sue Monheit. Before we get into the show, I have a question for you. Do you know that you should be out networking, but you just can't get yourself to do it because it's scary? Are you afraid that you might walk into the room and not know anybody? Or that you're going to freeze when you get up to do that infamous elevator speech where you talk about yourself and your business. Well, I'm here to tell you that it doesn't need to be scary if you know what to do. To help you with this, I would like to offer you a coffee chat. For the price of buying me a cup of coffee, we can sit down through an online video and I'll tell you everything that I know about networking and how I have personally built two multi-six-figure businesses, primarily through networking. You'll walk away with a solid understanding about how networking can truly grow your business. And you're going to have newfound confidence because I'm going to give you 10 fill-in-the-blank templates that you can use for your introduction message. To learn more about this opportunity, just go over to bit.ly forward slash network ninja. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash network ninja. And now, let's move on to the show. Hi there, it's Sue, and welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Whether you own a brick-and-mortar shop, sell online, or are just getting started, you'll discover new insight to gain traction and to grow your business. And today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Katie Wiswald. Katie is a commercial and consumer lender at Highland Park Bank and Trust. For the last 15 years, she's been serving the needs of local businesses and its residents. As a lender, she focuses on learning all she can about her customers' businesses and understanding their needs. This helps her to identify the best financing options available to meet their specific goals. From equipment purchases, working capital lines, to real estate loans, Katie enjoys helping her customers achieve their financial goals so that they can focus on their business and the clients that they serve. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you for having me. You know I start off in a way that is so different than finance, right? (laughs) Very different. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to talk about what you're all about in a creative way, and that is by having you describe a motivational candle that would represent you. So if you were to choose a specific color and some type of a saying or a quote on your candle, what would that be? So I would say the color would be blue, a lighter aqua-ish blue. And the saying would probably be, don't watch the clock, do what it does, just keep going. Because at the end of the day, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. And I think for anybody with a business, they know that things are thrown at you from time to time. And the best thing to do is to just move through it and push through versus getting caught up with any one specific problem. Yeah. And, you know, I think as business owners, too, we need to keep that mentality that we are in control because in the end, your business either succeeds or fails because of the decision you as the owner make along the way. Exactly. 
Although I got to tell you, I was thinking maybe your color would be green because of money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like blue because it's calming and it keeps you cool as you stay the course. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. So Katie, let's start off with talking about how you got attracted to the financial industry in the first place. So I've always been interested in numbers. My first job after college was actually in insurance, and I gravitated towards annuities where I was working with numbers and calculating things out. And then I made the switch to banking, and I've been through all areas of the bank. I've started as a teller slash personal banker, moved up to a credit analyst, and have now been a lender for about the last 10 years. And I really just, I like helping people with their businesses. You know, as a bank, you're a partner with the business and you're working together to help make that business successful. And I've really enjoyed that in my career. Okay, so in the intro, you talk about the fact that you really want to understand what your clients are all about. For example, we know each other, but let's say I was walking in and I was unknown to you. How would you start working with me? So the first thing that I do is I ask my clients to explain their business to me, not just what it is they do, but how it works. How do you make money? How do your payments come in? How do your payments go out to your suppliers? And that cash flow cycle is really important to figuring out what is best for the business from a financial and from a lending standpoint. A lot of people always talk about the five C's of credit that the bankers look at. And for anybody who's not familiar, those items are cash flow, collateral, credit and character, capital, and conditions. So by talking to my clients, I get a feel for all of these five things and then can help direct them into the best product for them. Okay, so you really sit, so you don't have an expectation right when someone walks in that you're going to send them down a similar path or you're just, you know, you're going to present to them the loans that are available. You really try to understand their unique situations and then you go from there. Definitely, because there are a variety of financing options and ways to finance your business. And depending on where the business is in its cycle will help determine the best way to provide that financing. For example, if you're starting off and you're a brand new business, it's going to be difficult to do a traditional bank loan because a bank will typically underwrite to historical financials. And a bank likes to look back a year or two and see historical trends for the business. There's other alternatives out there, though, that can mitigate against that that have been used. We have SBA loans. You can go to a factoring company where they will actually finance your receivables. You can go to a micro lender there's a variety of them out there that will start with smaller loans for newer businesses. One way that often is used when a business is just starting off is investors or incubators, friends and family money, people who will invest for either a return on their investment or for equity in the business. A lot of times that's used for new business just because there's no financials for the bank to underwrite to. Okay, so let me stop you there because we've just covered a number of different things and I've got, I'm furiously making notes over here because I have a lot of questions so that our listeners can really stay on the flow of this. Let's really back this up to the very beginning. Let's say somebody is considering a business and they don't really have any type of an investment yet. 
at what point could someone realistically be coming in and talking about a small business loan versus just bootstrapping that we hear a lot? You know, a lot of people will just use whatever money they have available and kind of build it as they can with money that's available. But what are your words of recommendation in terms of if someone is starting out, do they come to you? Do they try to bootstrap first? Where is the tipping point of walking in the door? So I always tell everybody that I meet who has a business or is thinking of starting a business, it's never too soon to come in and talk to a banker. The reason is even if the bank can't finance you initially, it's helpful to know what you're going to need to have at one point in time that the bank's going to want to underwrite a bank loan. So you might just be starting off, but what I've seen oftentimes is people do bootstrap and they get their business going, but then they run out of money and they don't have enough to make it to that next level. And as long as they have some of those five items that I discussed before, the C's of credit. I want to go through those in detail in a minute, but yeah, carry on with this first. Okay. So that can help you, but there's a number of things that the bank's going to want to see when they underwrite your loan. What I think is helpful is even if you're not bank financeable yet, it's helpful to come in and see what your options are. For example, I have customers who have come in looking for a loan. They were just starting their business, so I wasn't able to help them from that standpoint. However, with a business loan, I should say. However, we did alternate financing. So for example, you can get a home equity loan, use the equity in your house, to help finance those costs. And you can either use that as your capital or your working capital for the business while you're getting things up and running. It's always helpful, I think, for a business to understand that you might have the capital to get everything up and running. You're going to purchase the inventory. You're going to put the tenant improvements into your space. You're going to be ready to open the door on day one. Unfortunately, though, it takes a while to make sales and then collect on those receivables that you may have for your business. So that's the cash flow that a business owner really needs to understand because there's always a time frame between when you have to pay your suppliers and when you're going to collect from your clients. So making sure that you have enough working capital to cover those needs is really important. Would there ever be a time when someone would come in, and I understand what you're saying, it's never too early, because you also are then able to start developing a relationship with a banker. They know where you're going. Even if you're going to bootstrap for a little while and come back, I don't know, six months, a year later, there's been some type of a base established with somebody. Plus, you're probably able to give them a lot of good recommendations and advice as they start proceeding. Exactly. In fact, a lot of times I feel like I'm more of a business counselor than a business banker because I've seen a lot of different things, a variety of different types of businesses and can help direct people to places that might be of benefit, whether it's somebody that can help with marketing or somebody that can help with logos or whatever it is, whether I've financed them or just come across them. In the years that I've been banking, I can help connect people, which is always very helpful. In addition, when you start your business, obviously you want to establish a bank account and, you know, depending on your bank, they may have some products that allow for some flexibility based on personal credit score 
that might give you some, for example, some overdraft protection while you're getting your business up and running. Are there any examples you can give us of someone who's come in early just to give us some ideas of people who you weren't able to help right away, but possibly could help in the future? What type of situations are those? I've had a few of them. Some of them are tech companies, people that wanted to create an online application or an online business. One of the things that the bank looks at is cash flow. So for a startup, the cash flow is never really there. So that's always difficult for us. But one of the other things that we look heavily at is the collateral. And it's hard for a bank to finance a company that doesn't have collateral, such as heavy equipment or real estate, things like that. So something that's really tangible versus intellectual property. Something tangible. Exactly. Typically when the collateral is any sort of service business tends to be light on collateral. So in cases like that, the bank focuses even more on the cash flow from the business. So if it's a newer business and they're just getting up and running or they're just kind of breaking even and not ready for that bank financing, you know, that's where I would maybe send them over to, for example, an incubator here in the Chicagoland area. We have 1871, which is a tech incubator downtown. So it's a perfect place for them to go where you have investors who are interested in tech companies that are looking for new ideas to invest in. So sending them to various places like that. Another thing that can be done are SBA loans, where we can get a guarantee or a partial guarantee from the Small Business Administration for our loans in cases where the bank might have the cash flow, but not necessarily the collateral we need, or we don't have a full two years of financials yet, historical financials for that business. We can go through the SBA to help get one of those guarantees, which mitigates the bank's risk on a loan and makes it easier for us to provide financing to a newer business or a business that doesn't have a lot of collateral to lean back on. Okay, that makes perfect sense. And also what's becoming very clear is how important it is to go and really explain your unique situation because it's becoming more and more obvious to me that there are so many different avenues you can take and that's why you're the professional. You connect them up with the appropriate things based on, you know, what's going on with them at the time. So the good news is, Katie, that most of our audience do have something tangible because gifters, bakers, crafters, makers, they're most likely selling some type of a product, whether it's physical product or it's a consumable like cupcakes or chocolate. So we're in a little bit of a different situation. But you keep talking about all these words with the C's. So I think this is a good place for us to go ahead and define those five C's. So let's go through each of them and then you know, what the implications are and what's underneath all those C's. So the first one is cash flow and cash is always king. Cash flow for banking is king. And the reason is, is because the bank at the end of the day just wants to get repaid. So our goal is to lend dollars to help businesses grow and then get repaid. And Typically, the bank wants to see cash flow of 1.2 times. And to explain that in simple numbers is we will look at the cash flow from the business, which is the net income plus interest expense plus depreciation and other non-cash items divided by the debt service. 
so the annual loan payments for the proposed debt. We want to see that that's covering at 1.2 times. So if you have 120000 in cash flow and your debt service is 100000 a year, that's the number, that's the ratio that the bank measures it by. Sometimes people might be a little tighter. However, that's where talking to the banker and the banker understanding your business is key because what the new loan could be doing is helping you increase sales or reduce expenses. So there could be effects that that loan will have that will improve the cash flow over time. So that's why it's really important to have your banker understand your business and understand what that loan is for. So I see on Shark Tank a lot of times when people are asking for money, they'll say, well, what are you going to use this money for? And if they say, well, I haven't taken a salary yet, you know, they're like, eh, wrong answer. Exactly. Kind of like what you're saying is, you know, it's got to be doing something to grow the business so that the bank will get its money back. Exactly. And two of the main structures for a loan are either a line of credit or a term loan. And I always think that it's really important to pick the structure that's appropriate for your loan purpose. If you're buying equipment that you're going to have for five years that you need to create your product, then that would be a term loan. You want to borrow it all up front and pay it back over time. If you're looking for working capital where your receivables aren't coming in as quickly as your payables need to go out and you need just some cash flow to help shore up some shortfalls from time to time, then a line of credit is more appropriate. Because what the bank will want to see on a line of credit is the bank wants to see that line go up and down. What I often see with smaller businesses They'll get a line of credit over a term loan because they like the fact that the monthly payments are interest only, and then they borrow it, but then they never pay it back. And the issue with that, although it's helpful for the cash flow because they're not paying the principal back, the issue is the next time they do need to purchase a piece of equipment or some other long-term asset, then they don't necessarily have the borrowing capacity because and they're not using the line of credit in the appropriate manner. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. Got it. All right, let's move on to the second C. So the second C is collateral, and this can really be a variety of things. For a small business, this could be you know, marketable securities that you have from a previous life or that you've accumulated over time that you don't want to cash in because there would be tax liabilities. And so you might want to use that as your collateral. This is often used on a newer business that doesn't have historical cash flow. It's a liquid asset that the bank looks favorably on because it is a liquidatable asset, something that could be sold and liquidated to repay the debt in a short time frame versus something like real estate where you could use that. My example before, you could use a home equity loan to do the financing if you have equity in your house, or if your business is in a commercial property, sometimes you might want to purchase that property that you're occupying and start paying rent to yourself. So real estate is often used. A lot of times it's just a blanket lien on business assets. So in a case like that, the bank will take a blanket lien on the business's assets. The bank will file a UCC, Uniform Commercial Code filing on the business at the state level. And what that allows 
the business to know is that they have the ability to capture the cash flow that's coming in if needed. So that's often used if there's a cash flow dependent loan. It also covers all equipment that the business owns, excluding any specific leased equipment that the business may have. Because another way to do financing for your business is instead of going to the bank to purchase a piece of equipment, you can go to a leasing company and lease the equipment. There's oftentimes a lease to own where there's a buyout of a dollar at the end of the five-year lease. It's another way of financing that equipment instead of going through the bank. Okay. All right. Perfect. So we get a feel for collateral. Let's move on to number three. So three is credit and character. That's really what is this person bringing to the table with their business. And with any loan, a bank, whomever is financing you, is probably going to pull a credit report on the individual owner or owners of the business. And if you show a history of not paying your bills on time or having late payments or having charge-offs on your credit report, it doesn't tell a good story. Yeah, because it kind of lays the groundwork of how you're going to be handling things moving forward. Exactly. So what you can do, for example, at my bank, we have products that we can give people based on just credit score. So We'll do minimal underwriting for the business on some smaller loans, but as long as they have a good credit history where they have a history of repaying their bills on a regular basis with no late payments, that can help you get a loan through the bank or whomever. Perfect. So if we have any listeners right now who are listening to this show because you're thinking about starting a business at some point, make sure you're paying your bills. I mean, there's a lot you can do right now to set yourself up in a good position if ever you're going to end up going for a business loan. So one of those is, let's say you're just out of school, you don't really have a lot of debt yet, but car payments, you know, rent, you know, mortgage payments, whatever you're doing, just make sure you're paying on time because that can really help you not just here, but this is the point we're talking about here, but it'll help you in the future. So that's something that you can do right now to take action, even if you're not starting your company right away. And I would also recommend you can pull a free credit report from each credit bureau once a year. If you go to freecreditreport.com and I recommend it to everybody I talk to because you can also look to make sure everything that's on your credit report is in fact yours and that there's been no fraudulent activity on it, which unfortunately we see often. And you probably want to get on that sooner versus later, I'm sure. Exactly, because it does take time to clean things like that up. And do you go to someone like you to do that? Can you help in that in that manner or no? There are companies that can help or there are places, businesses like LifeLock, if you've had fraud with your social security number or other personal information, they can help protect against future fraud. But there's also businesses that can help you clean up old issues. So better just to know that your report's nice and clean and safe (laughs) and then check it from year to year. (laughs) Exactly. Perfect. All right. Anything else on credit and character or should we move on? We can move on. The next one is capital. And this one is when we look at a business, we want to make sure that a business is well capitalized. As you were saying in your example before, we don't want to give a loan so that the owner can take a salary. We want to make sure that there's enough basic equity in the business that the owner has skin in the game. It's a little easier to describe 
for Mm -hmm. example, on a real estate deal, sometimes you see somebody purchase a building for, let's say, a hundred thousand and then it appreciates and two years later, let's say it's worth a hundred and fifty thousand. And now they want to cash out a hundred thousand because there's fifty thousand of equity. The concern that the bank always has there is they're taking all of their cash out and they have no skin in the game, so to say. So we want to make sure somebody has, you know, that they're invested, that they're invested in it, that they support it. One thing that you will see on a typical bank loan is that if we make a loan to the business, the business will be our borrower, but any owner of the business, specifically any owner of 20% or greater, we require them to guarantee the loan because we want to make sure that they're behind it. If somebody wants to borrow a million dollars and they don't want to put their name behind it and support the repayment of it, that's going to get the bank a little nervous. Okay, so you're talking about somebody then, I believe, I just want to clarify, who's coming to you for a business loan and then you're saying that you want them to underwrite from their personal finances? Well, two things. One, we're going to ask them for personal financials and I'll go through the list of all of the financials that a bank will typically request for a loan. But one thing that we just want to make sure that they're willing to guarantee it, which means that if the business doesn't have the cash flow to repay it, then we're going to look to the guarantors to personally support any cash flow shortfalls. Okay. So that could be your personal, that could be a friend who's going to underwrite for you, something like that. It could be. Sometimes people will get a co-signer on loans, but typically it's just any owner in the business. The other reason for that is we want to make sure that all of the owners, let's say you have a business and there's five owners of 20% ownership. We want to make sure that all of the owners are behind the business and supportive of the business and will help support if there's any cash flow shortfalls or hiccups that occur. Got it. Because sometimes you'll have just silent investors and that's all fine and well, but possibly not when you're going for a loan. (laughs) Correct. If your silent investor owns 50% of the business, they're probably going to need to guarantee. But if it's a silent investor, like I was saying before, friends and family money where they've put a little money in to help you get started, they either don't have ownership in it or they have a minority investment in it, we're not going to ask for guarantees. One thing that we may ask is if you do have investor money in your business and loans from investors or loans from shareholders, so it could be your own personal business with personal loans that you've made to that business, oftentimes the bank will ask for that loan to be subordinated to the bank's debt, which translates to you agreeing that if there isn't enough cash flow the excess cash flow will be used to repay the bank's debt first before you repay yourself or other shareholder yeah. loans. Yeah, makes sense. All right, let's move on to five. Five is just conditions. If you think about it, a few years ago, we were having a real estate downturn. So some of it is we're going to do a loan based on how the economy is doing, how that specific line of business is doing. If you're selling widgets, and widgets are going out of style and you don't need them anymore for various things. Look at cars, for example. Cars are going electric. If you're a company and you're creating parts for electric cars, we could see that there'd probably be some growth in that area. 
But if you're making parts for diesel cars that are being phased out, that might not be the best condition to try to grow a company. Right. So if I have a part that's a cleaner for a VCR, it's probably not of interest. (laughs) It's probably not of interest because you're probably not going to grow that business very much. (laughs) Exactly. So it sounds like relevance of your product and then also market conditions. Exactly. And competition. What if you're one of seven cupcake shops on the same street? That's going to be a tough condition to survive in unless you can prove why your cupcakes are going to be so much better and fly off the rack compared to the other six cupcake shops in town. Mm-hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Makes total sense. Okay. So these five C's again are cash flow, collateral, credit and character, capital, and conditions. Really good information, Katie. I appreciate you breaking all of this down for us. Might go over some of our heads, but we can always go back and re-listen to this again. So that's wonderful. Let's say I'm coming in. I've listened to this podcast. I kind of understand. I want to come in and talk with my local lender. You're talking about the things that you're going to be requesting, the different types of pieces of information, and just what to expect when you're walking in the door. Let's go through all of that for everybody. So once the banker is aware of your business and you talked over what your business does, what your business needs, what the loan is for, then in order to underwrite the loan, the bank will typically ask for a personal financial statement from each of the guarantors two to three years of personal tax returns for each of the guarantors. And again, those guarantors are typically any owner of 20% or greater, though they can also be key employees that are imperative to the business, as well as two years of business tax returns and current interim financials for the business, including profit and loss statement or income statement, a balance sheet, a current accounts receivable aging, if applicable, and a current accounts payable aging. What the bank will do is the bank will look at a loan from two different ways. First, we look at the business cash flow to see how the business is doing and if the business can support that debt. But then what we often do with small businesses is we'll look at it globally Because we want to make sure that globally between the business and the guarantors, which are oftentimes one to two owners that are living off of the salaries from that business, we want to make sure that globally they can service all of the debt. So we take the cash flow from the business, we take the personal income that the guarantors make, and then we look at the debt, the business and the personal debt to make sure that it's covering, there's enough income, enough cash sources to service those cash needs. Got it. So as you're talking about all of this, the first thing that comes to mind for me is if you're already in business, and we've talked about this in past podcast episodes and on my blog and all of that, is make sure you have an accounting system like QuickBooks or other, because all of these reports that Katie's talking about can easily be pulled up from a system like that. But if you are hand jotting down your sales, you know, just doing like the pen and paper thing, this would be a nightmare to try and get. And it probably wouldn't be as credible either. Right, Katie? It won't be as credible. With real estate loans, we sometimes see that just because there's not daily transactions, you're taking in rent once a month and then paying expenses once or twice a month. But for an 
operating business where you have money going in and out on a daily basis, not only is it important for the bank to be aware of those numbers and be able to see them at any point in time, it's important for the business owner to understand those numbers. Things like accounts receivable aging, a lot of people don't focus on, but it actually can tell a lot about why you may have cash flow needs. Sometimes I've seen a business come in and they need a working capital line because they're having a cash crunch. Then when I look at their accounts receivable aging, I see that they have clients that they've let not pay them for over 90 days. And the bank, when we're looking at collateral, and if we're doing a working capital line that could be collateralized specifically by accounts receivable, the bank will finance typically 80% of eligible accounts receivable. Those eligible accounts receivable are receivables that are aged 90 days or less. So if you're not spending the time to collect from your clients in a timely manner, guaranteed your suppliers are still wanting you to pay them in a timely manner. So if you're making your payables timely, but your receivables aren't coming in timely, that's where you end up with the cash crunch. In addition, if you let your receivables go too long, the odds and the chances of collecting on them get harder and harder. Sure. In the end, a bank is looking at you just like you would look at loaning money to somebody else. I mean, they're wanting to make sure that they're going to get paid back and they're looking at everything in your history, all of this detail that Katie's sharing. You know, they're taking a chance on you in the end. And is it a good chance to be taking? So you've got to prove your case. Definitely. The other thing I will just point out, one, for any sort of tax effect that any sort of expense, you should always talk to your accountant. Bankers are not accountants. So we will always advise you to talk to your accountant on how to report things as far as expenses and on your tax returns. We're always going to tell you to go to your attorney to determine how your business should be structured and who should be the authorized signers. Those are made by those professionals. One thing that we do come across, though, is people hire really great accountants who can help them reduce their tax liabilities by having them write off a number of expenses. Unfortunately, sometimes that does not help when you're trying to get a loan. So people will come in and we typically will underwrite to tax returns. And I often see where your QuickBooks say one thing, and then your tax returns say something else because your accountant has gotten creative with what they can write off. All valid items that can be written off. However, it affects the cash flow that the bank underwrites to. So that's just always something to keep in mind that it's great to not pay the income taxes sometimes. However, it can affect your ability to borrow. Really good point. Would not have thought of that. So I appreciate your bringing that up. What type of a time frame do you have from when someone, let's say someone, you know them already, you know their business, you've spent some time with them. Now they're coming in with all their information and you're going to advise them what's the right direction to go. How long does it take? And I'm sure there's a range, but what can you expect in terms of from that point to actually getting the loan approved? It does vary. It varies on the collateral. It varies on the complexity of the business. But in general, 
it also depends on the workload <laughs> and the time of year and if people are on vacation. But I would say about two weeks is your typical turnaround time. It can be faster for smaller loans that don't have as detailed underwriting, but it can be longer for more complex deals that, for example, might have real estate as collateral where you then have to get an appraisal on the property to make sure that it appraises out before you can close on that loan. Got it. So, but two weeks, maybe to what, a month, two months? I would say two to six weeks. If you are going with an SBA loan, the SBA is the government and the government does love their paper. And so there's always extra paperwork and it always takes a little extra time. So sometimes those loans can take a little longer to get processed and closed. But if it's not an SBA loan and it's a traditional bank loan, I would say between two to six weeks. Perfect. And some closing words on this for all of us who get really scared about all of this, because it sounds like a lot of terms we don't know, a lot of information we don't know, possibly a step that we're uncomfortable with. What is the value of getting a small business loan? How can you put us at ease that this might be something people would want to consider? One thing that I would say is it's always great to establish a credit history separate from your personal credit history. A lot of times people will self-fund. They will use the home equity option, for example, and then make shareholder loans to the business. But then it doesn't provide a history of what the business can do so that when you are ready to move on to that loan later on for growth, you don't have any history with the bank. If you have a history with the bank of always keeping your account positive, never having return checks because you're keeping an eye on your books and you know exactly how much you have in your account that you can write checks from. If you have an overdraft line or even a small line of credit, it could be five to $10,000. If the bank has a history with you, that shows that you have been responsible and always, you know, talk to the bank, always are on top of everything so that the bank has that history, that will help in the bank wanting to grow with you. Grow with you. And I'm also thinking if you ever are building a company to sell later, that probably strengthens the sale opportunity too. Having solid credit and something separate from your personal. Definitely. And talking about what your ultimate goal for your business is, is one of those steps. Are you in business because you just love what you do, which my guess is most of your listeners <laughs> do, that they love what they do and they just want to, you know, being able to do a job that you love is great. Sometimes people are growing a business because they want to pass it on to their next generation or because they want to sell it and then retire to the Caribbean, right. <laughs> whatever the reason is, to know what those ultimate goals are is helpful because it'll help you figure out the best way to finance and structure things. A question's occurred to me, Katie, I'd like your comment on. I think and have heard in the past of a lot of people who, they don't need a ton of money, but they find it really easy just to go ahead and finance any purchases that they want to make or costs that they've incurred just through their credit cards. What would you say to that? So I've seen a number of businesses use that model. And if you use your credit card 
for the purchases and you're paying it off every month so you don't have any interest expense tied to it, it's not a horrible idea because people do use it to get miles and things that they can use later on for their business, for travel, things like that. However, what I've often seen is businesses who get in the habit of putting things on their credit card because they don't have a working capital line for the business. They use their credit card for that. But if they don't pay it off every month, the interest rates that they're paying are really affecting their business cash flow because they have to start paying so much in interest. You know, a credit card could be in 17, 20% interest versus if they start with a bank loan or try to use a bank working capital line instead, interest rates are below 10%. You have a lot more capacity to make those payments because your interest rate isn't as high. And then sometimes if you get in the cycle, you start increasing those balances. And then when it comes time to go to the bank to look for financing, the bank has to take all of those credit card payments into account. And it could be affecting your credit score because if you have very high balances on your credit cards, and even on a business card, it'll show, even if you're an authorized signer, it'll often show on your personal credit report. It can affect your credit score, which can affect your ability to borrow. So it sounds like a major caution. You know, it's so much easier just to pull out that credit card. And maybe if you have just a, you know, one month, you have some extra expenses that, you know, you're going to be able to pay off pretty quickly. You may use that as a fallback option. But in terms of actually using that as the base of any extended costs that you have, that would not be a good idea. Correct. It's helpful to use it from an ease standpoint where you're making purchases online. So it's just easier to put it in a credit card number. If you're using it for that purpose and then planning on repaying it, that's fine. But if you use it and then when you get that receivable in from your client, if you use that receivable to pay other expenses and to not pay down your credit card, then you can end up with those high balances that will affect you. And I would say credit cards are good for miles or whatever other reward program you're on. So that's not bad. (laughs) They do have benefits and they actually will provide some protection from a fraud standpoint. So if if somebody gets a hold of your credit card, you could argue it with the credit card company. And they're usually pretty good about helping you out with that. One more thing that I will say, and this is not from a lending perspective, but just from a banking perspective that a lot of businesses don't know, especially in today's times when a lot of payments are auto debited or auto credited to accounts, a business account only has 24, technically only has 24 hours to dispute a fraudulent debit from their account. So one parting word that I would leave your listeners with is to always look at your accounts, get online banking and look at your accounts every day to make sure that the items that are coming through your account are valid items because there's a lot of fraud that's out there. It's rampant among businesses. And if you don't catch it in time as a business, you may not be able to recoup those lost dollars. I did not know that. That is a huge heads up for all of us. Yes. I was yes. not aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> so get online banking and get in the habit of signing on every day just to keep an eye on your accounts. Lots of things you've given us to think about. Hopefully I haven't 
overwhelmed. <laughs> well, like I said, we can always go back and listen again, right? <laughs> Correct. All right, perfect. Any other closing comments? Anything that you think we haven't touched on that we should? I think that's it. I think we really covered everything. I would just say, don't be scared to go into the bank, talk to a banker, talk through things. Even if you're having problems in a specific area, you can always talk to your banker about how they would possibly address it. Or if they have other resources that you can go to in our area, we have something called SCORE that I refer people to all the time because sometimes to get to that next step isn't necessarily a financing thing. Sometimes it could be something like marketing or management. And there's a number of other resources out there that can help you address those issues that will help you get ready to be financeable. That's perfect. And I never would have thought of it that way either. And what you're saying is true. I mean, it doesn't cost anything to go in and sit down and talk with somebody. Just share the position where you're at and see what your options are at that point. Definitely. I would say half my time is spent on just talking to my clients and coming up with ideas of how they can progress in their business. All right. Now, Katie, I'm going to circle into something a little bit different again. We're going back to the candle mentality here. Are you ready? Yes. I'm going to invite you to dare to dream. I'd like to present you with a virtual gift. It's a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. This is your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. Please accept this gift and open it in our presence. What is inside your box? This is a tough one for me. (laughs) And I can think of a variety of things, but... I'm actually going to say, because I think your listeners will appreciate this, I wish I had artistic ability. As a banker, I am very right-brained, and I love arts and craftsy things and making things, but I need to follow. I can paint, but it needs to be a paint-by-number. I can bake, but I have to have a recipe. I would love to have an artistic bone in my body that I could pass on and enjoy. The good thing about being an artist is whatever you create is beautiful because everything is unique, right? So you can think of it that way too. Definitely. It's easier for you to go from numbers to artistry than creatives to go from that to numbers. Because when you were talking about how you got into the finance thing and how you like numbers and all of that, Ah, scary. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we have you to count on, Katie. (laughs) And I will rely on you and your listeners for my artistic decor because it won't come from me. (laughs) All right. So if any of our listeners are right in the area and listening and would like to come in and talk with you specifically, how could they get in touch with you? So I can be reached at my email address, which is kwiswold, K-W-I-S as in Sam, W-A-L-D as in dog, at highlandparkbank.com. We are a Wintrust community bank. I'm also out on LinkedIn under Catherine Wiswald. And we're going to have a show notes page as we always do. So you can always click over there and get more information. You'll see a little bit more of a complete bio on Katie and then all of her contact information as well. Definitely. Thank you so, so much. I think you've taken what for many of us, just by nature of what we do, you've taken a very 
confusing and scary topic of all the financing and broken it down for us so we understand it much better. And I think the biggest takeaway for all of us is there is nothing wrong with going in and just having a conversation with your local lender. You might really recognize some new opportunities that you never knew existed. So thank you for enlightening us with all of that. And I really like when you talk about back to your candle quote, taking action, you know, not just watching, but going ahead and doing. And there's lots of things that we can do on this financial end that I think we just don't think about because we don't want to be thinking about them. So you've helped us with that so much as well. So thank you very, very much for joining me on the show, sharing your wisdom with our listeners, and may your candle always burn bright. Thank you very much for having me. Where are you in your business building journey? Whether you're just starting out or already running a business and you want to know your setup for success, find out by taking the Gift Biz Quiz. Access the quiz from your computer at bit.ly slash giftbizquiz or from your phone by texting giftbizquiz to 44222. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us for the next episode. Today's show is sponsored by The Ribbon Print Company. Looking for a new income source for your gift business? Customization is more popular now than ever. Brand your products with your logo or print a happy birthday Jessica ribbon to add to a gift right at checkout. It's all done right in your shop or craft studio in seconds. Check out the ribbonprintcompany.com for more information. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on iTunes. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. And thank you to those who have already left a rating and review. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey.